Terrible Toby's is Kitchener's independent, community-driven pet supply store. Conveniently located just outside of downtown Kitchener, Terrible Toby's has created a new way to shop for your pet, combining fun, educational moments with an easy and convenient experience. Join Terrible Toby's for their weekly neighborhood walks, monthly nail trimming clinics, or their next pet portrait day. Learn more in-store or follow Terrible Toby's on Facebook and Instagram for all their updates. Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. And today we are joined by Leah and Craig from Save Res Dogs to discuss the importance of Indigenous animal welfare. So welcome, Leah and Craig. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy you are here. After a few scheduling challenges, we were finally <laughs> able to make it work. I, mean, yes. I, I think I was sick and then you were sick and yeah, yeah, it is the season, right? Totally. Yeah. Amazing. Well, we have a lot to talk about today, so let's just jump right into it. So can you first, of course, introduce yourselves and then we'd love to hear about any pet that you have in the home and I mean feel free to share about tiny humans as well since we're getting a feature on them uh on our the video that our listeners won't see today okay um Tanse Nia Leah Arkan Nisigasun Muskeg Lake Cree Nation out here in Treaty 6 and this is my partner Craig hello I'm Craig Eads I'm Gitsan Frog Clan from the House of Hauk so um West Coast native, living in Treaty 6, Saskatchewan. Yeah, so Um, BC born, but living in Saskatchewan. Yeah, and we're here in Saskatoon, and we have two dogs, Cedar and Willow. Cedar is our first baby. She just turned seven, and we got her from a, a litter from a friend of ours from the res, and we rescued Willow when she was about six to seven months, so... Those were our first two babies. And that we have two other human babies. We have Kisan. She's almost five. And we have Juno. He is just turned eight months. So we are a big family. <laughs> oh, Juno wants to be part of the podcast. Yeah. I, I have to say, you have chosen beautiful names for all of your children and your pets. Thank you. What, yes. what lovely names. Amazing. Okay. Well, again, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> so it's just, we're going to get right into it. Thank so you. can you tell our listeners about Save Res Dogs? Um, what does Save Res Dogs do? What are you all about? Um, I'm really excited to learn more about what Save Res Dogs does as well. For sure. So I'm a, uh, I'm a teacher by day and I start uh, when I started teaching out on a reserve not too far from Saskatoon. Um, I was teaching a land-based program for grade seven, eight girls, and that was the same year we got Will uh, Cedar as a puppy. So I just started to fuse a lot of like everything in my life together at one point. So just teaching my students about. Um, what it's like being a new pet owner from like from having a puppy. So what does responsible responsible pet ownership 
look like and at the same time feeding and playing with the community uh, res dogs, school dogs, and like looking out for them at the same time. And that was the year, like 2016 was the year where I just became really uh, aware about life of a res dog. And like I've lived on the res, like I'm from the res, we've had dogs. But where I grew up was, like, a farm away from, like, villages and stuff. So I never grew up around, like, packs of dogs. And even teaching up north, um, I just wasn't super aware. And I'm, like, open to admit, like, that part of my journey of, like, of, of it. Because you just, you're just living with dogs and it's normal, you know what I mean? And But for me in 2016, when I started to see, like, um like kids, kids that I knew starting to harm dogs, it just really opened my eyes about like this, what, what's happening, right? And seeing that, you know, there's services and programs out for families and children, but also there's not a whole lot uh, on reserve that look out for animals. Like there's little to no um, animal protection on reserve. So, and I've always been an advocate for many things, like children, the environment, families, our youth, but I'm just like, it, it was just like, not an overnight thing, just gradually, but like wanting to be a voice for res dogs now, because I started to see how leadership was treating them, or not treating them, and just like, un look, understanding the discourse of res dogs, and then um, over time, just wanting to reframe, reframe the narrative for res dogs because it, we've been so um, desensitized and like um, how culls and a lot of other things have been normalized. So I just wanted to just, uh, I don't know, start being a voice for them. And I didn't know where it was going to go when I started it officially in 2019 over time, um, just by starting a Facebook page, but just sort of um, repping for res dogs. Um, Amazing. Through through education, through advocacy, and through fundraising. So eventually, just getting merch made with our logo, and just donating the proceeds uh, out to uh, res dogs and families, and to help in emergencies, basically. So yeah, it's been four years, and I just um, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> now it's kind of like a big passion project really that includes the whole family. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, dog friendly KW has a very similar origin story and <laughs> I will often say that I think some of the best initiatives you just don't really expect. And, um, they, they form very organically just because there is a genuine need for it. Um, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's really incredible to kind of hear a little bit about that. Okay. So, I always like to start these kind of discussions with some historical context because I find it's hard to talk about the present without going back. So one of the resources on your website talks about pre-colonial times and the role of dogs in Indigenous communities. And this is something I've never thought about. This is something I know nothing about. So I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about what this looks like and what was the role of dogs in the context of pre-colonization. For sure. And like what I what I know is what I've learned from my friends who like grew up very culturally 
and just knowing that dog that we've had dogs because I'm from the prairie so that's where I can like really speak from my experience um is that we've had dogs um before we had horses so dogs sort of been with us like we say since time immemorial and that they've been part of our of our human packs and our families as uh, protectors or security or helping with hunting or helping with travel. So just having a very, you know, respectful relationship with animals. And over time, because of colonialism, that relationship has been disrupted um, by being displaced, by having, you know, resources... (laughs) Away from us, sorry if you can hear my baby um, growling. That is a-okay. <laughs> Extra sound effects, we love it. And just like being placed on reserve, and being placed on reserve is what created res dogs. And over time, like, and also learning bits and pieces from other people about when agriculture was starting to boom. Uh, and grow like we had to start like tying up our dogs or starting to shoot our dogs to protect the cows or horses like this new age this new colonialism so that really just disrupted our relationship with animals and because colonialism disrupted so many things in our lives we're constantly trying to like remedy those things and so dogs and other animals are very often not prioritized but with, say, yeah. res dogs, we're trying to put that priority in front of people's faces and say, like, this is an issue and challenge that we face every day. Like, we should start to handle it within our community. Because what we've been doing for decades and is just, like, either killing them in calls or expecting, yeah. like, rescues who have no connection to community to come in and pick up all these dogs up until like a year later where we got more dogs again. So it's like feels like a bit of a band-aid at that point, right? Totally, Instead totally of addressing the root solutions. cause. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Band-aid solutions and being very reactive than preventative. And so that is a huge goal of Save Res Dogs is just to, you know, share our stories and, you know, encourage people and programs to be more preventative just by, you know, sharing, like, like just um, figuring stuff out together, basically, and having people commit and stay consistent. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the way you phrase it around how colonialism, I mean, has disrupted everything, but has also, of course, disrupted our relationship with animals. I think that's a great segue into the next question, um, just around, you know, what are some of the prevalent issues that we are seeing in Indigenous communities um, around dogs in current day? What are um, some of the solutions that communities are working towards? Like, I'd love to understand what things are kind of looking like in today's context. Like what kind of... uh, Like what kind of the issues... Yeah, like what issues are are most frequent in the Indigenous community right now yeah. as it pertains to dogs and dog owners? What yeah. is that looking like? Even like I'm, I would imagine that it probably even shifted um, throughout the COVID pandemic. And yeah, just curious what that kind of looks like today. For sure, and 
Most, well, if not all communities face challenges. Some of them face unique challenges or some of them face the same challenges. But at bottom line, we're all having challenges basically because like um, the reserves come from INAC, Indian Affairs. And under INAC, there's like nothing for animals really, right? And so every reserve is kind of just on their own. And, but they're, like I said, they're always trying to figure something out and, and do other stuff. So, but what I see from this work is that a lot of owners don't feel supported or leadership doesn't know how to support owners or aren't aware that they should support dog owners, that type of thing, which results in like dog packs, um, dog bites, you know, starvation, um, not enough money for food. And those are other things too that owners like have challenges with. It's like access to resources, right? If you don't have a car, right? And it, and all that kind of discourse leads into people saying like, well, if you can't take care of them, then you can't have a dog. But like, that's just like a whole other topic and like just ignorance happening, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like... Um, but one thing for sure is, like, there's a lot of people and community members who love their animals, who love their dogs, but they yeah. just, like, feel stuck in some ways. Either, like, lack of resources or lack of support, lack of funds, or lack of initiatives within the community. And that's what really needs to change. And it's such a human problem, and that's what we're also trying to reframe because people will villainize dogs for biting someone or you know chewing up the trash or whatever but it's it's because of us they're doing that and so it's trying to like shift these perspectives for people native and non-native that you know it's such a human problem and that it's not a dog's fault they're just literally trying to survive or trying to protect themselves yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have really, I mean, very similar conversations in, in a more urban context around, you know, the responsibility that pet owners have to keep their dogs safe. And ultimately that accountability does land on the human side of the leash. So how do we shift that narrative? So yeah, you make some great points there. Okay. That was a lot of information. We're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to do a deep dive into the world of Indigenous animal welfare. So we will be right back. Welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justina McKenzie. Today, we have been chatting with Craig and Leah from Save Res Dogs about Indigenous animal welfare. So let's jump back in with our next question. Um, You have a really, you have so many resources on your website, first of all. Your website is just a plethora of knowledge, um, but you have a really interesting graphic that talks about the spectrum of allies, and I would love to hear more about this concept in a little bit more depth, um, because again, this was kind of a framework that was really new to me. All right, so 
the spectrum of allies is something that we both learned during our time in Next Step Leadership Training. So this is a program that originated in Vancouver and is branched off into Edmonton and Saskatoon and other major cities in each province. And so, yeah, like Next Step Leadership Training was a very informative time in our lives. And we're both educators now. And it was just a great introduction to to everything that you would learn in like an ed foundations class as a teacher and stuff like that and so yeah like it's it's rooted yeah everything we're doing is kind of rooted within this anti-oppressive education or this culturally responsive education and the spectrum of allies when we learned about it in next step was all about using your heartbeats wisely and then understanding that in every cause there's an active ally and an active opposition and that we shouldn't be trying to just target our active opposition all the time. And that like, in order to use our heartbeats more effectively, we might be better off creating something that's targeting our passive allies and, and shifting them into becoming active allies. And, you know, talking to people who are neutral about an issue. So in this case, res dogs, people who don't know anything about it, like putting them, giving them the context they need in order to shift them within that spectrum of allies. So it's like a neutral person can get context about what's happened to indigenous people through the Indian act and how like res dogs are a symptom of this bigger problem. And it, it is a human problem, but like it's, it's like a 500-year-old thing, you know what I mean? Even longer than that. Like, But yeah, it all ties almost back. To, it's pre-colonial times of just struggle, but also just like how the Dominion of Canada started to treat Indigenous people after they bought Rupert's land from the Hudson Bay Company. So it's like, yeah, it's like it, it goes back deep in terms of like, where the human problem began. And yeah, like the treaty signatories, like they were getting like scraps from John A. MacDonald. And it's like reserves were created by John A. MacDonald and people like that through the Indian Act. And so it's like, yeah, like understanding reserves aren't just like, it's not just like this is our country versus your country and our country is so inferior (laughs) and yours is so superior. It's like, it's a colonization problem that we need to look into. And the spectrum of allies just lets us frame things in a way where we're able to not just focus on our active opposition, but create real meaningful change in a way where you're just talking to people who are neutral about it or people who are passive allies. Yeah. And the one that we created is just based off our experiences, really. We, so we just made it up. But we borrowed the model from the internet. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, internet. Um, amazing. That was really helpful. Okay, so reconciliation is something that's definitely been top of mind for our organization in the last couple of months with having kind of put extra emphasis um, around those efforts with National Day for Truth and Reconciliation having passed on September 30th. Um, So I'd love to hear about what you think reconciliation can look like in the context of dog owners all year round. So we try to do, you know, as many initiatives as we can to really lean into, you know, the TRC calls to action, but really would love to hear in the context of dog ownership, what do you think reconciliation really looks like? 
I think like um, spay neuter clinics would definitely be helpful, even though that's not always the answer. And I know spay neuter clinics are expensive in certain areas. And the ones that we've been to that's volunteer run, and we've learned that the big cost of spay neuter clinics come from the oxygen tanks, right? When you put the dogs under. Um, uh, and I'm thinking for on-reserve members, especially for like the elderly, like who say they can't get their dogs to the vet or to the groomers, right? So like having groomers come in to like cut the nails for dogs basically because that's hard to do um a lot of the calls to action are just about acknowledging the structural determinism that the indian act has created and like learning more so about how yeah just the whole context of indigenous the indigenous lived experience right and so like one of those aspects is like dogs should be included within that framework because they've been affected by structural determinism too, right? And so, yeah, it's like maybe there's a specific call to action that it can fit within. But, yeah, it's like it's a part of structural determinism and, like, real reconciliation is is about fixing a mess that was created by you in a weird way. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, like, if it's it's something that... Yeah, it's like, please... Yeah, it's like if you made a mess and you want to reconcile, you can help, like, with that mess. <laughs> you know, you don't just lay sorry and leave the mess there. Yeah, so you mean, <laughs> Juno has so many thoughts on reconciliation. I know, I know. He's so he's happy. Gonna be, about he's going to be, he's going to be a great, he's going to be a great advocate. I can tell already. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, so what I'm hearing, so especially for those of us that maybe don't have as many reserve communities near us, you know, we're not in northern communities, for example, or maybe in the prairies where you might see more reserves. Um, I'm guessing probably one of the most simple ways that we can lean into this work of reconciliation is probably to um, really just like uplift and support any sort of programming to support dog owners in those communities. Yeah, I totally agree. Amazing. Okay, so I want to talk about this last piece. Uh, another really great thing you kind of delve into on your website around this concept of community readiness. So again, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this framework and why it's important to assess community readiness in the context of Indigenous animal welfare. For sure. And I learned about community readiness from Craig. Like he was talking about it and show me the model show me the stages. And I'm like, that's where I'm at. I'm at planning or pre-planning, but before I was in like no awareness. Right. So again, like every community can totally use that and look at it and be like, yeah, this is where I'm at personally, or this is where we're at as a whole, but it's good to kind of know like what an end goal could look like but also admitting to where you're at or what you are not even being aware. So it's just a, it's a good way to, you know, to show and mirror to, you know, a chief and council or, or whoever's asking for us to, to present to them, like, where are you at? Because you could, some people are like, oh yeah, we've done all that, but they have no, like, they don't have the results that they want. And it's hard sometimes because, like, I don't have an answer 
to a lot of the questions that are asked our way, but we're definitely a good sounding board for them about like, we know that there's issues and challenges, but I guess this essentially like, what are you committed to do? Because I could like list off a ton of ideas or stuff that you can do, but then they'll be like, well, we've done that or that's not too much work. So it's like, well, how ready are you or how ready do you want to be? Because this is for us or like humans to fix. But if you're not ready, then you're not going to get results that you want. Or if you're only going to do something once a year, like a spay and neuter clinic or a call or a rescue picking up, like that's not being community ready. That's a community yeah. bandaid, right? So it's just yeah. sort of the mirror to the audience of like, where do you want to be? Yeah. It reminds me, so I have a background in social work and it reminds me of some of the models that we use when we're talking about like someone's willingness to change and how people go through this like phase of like pre-contemplation, contemplation, um, action. And if somebody is pre-contemplated, they're not doing anything. They're not diving into the work. They are, they've probably pulled the covers over their heads and they're not ready to look at it. Um, so I, I feel like it's a, it's a comparable framework in terms of, you know, what are you ready to actually execute at this exact time? And this is just a point in time and it's going to evolve and change as we move forward. Totally. And a lot of it to to get to like community readiness is like shifting your perspective, right? Like from either not caring about dogs to caring about dogs kind of thing. Like it, there's a lot of shift that has to be ready as well to like, to want to change. Cause sometimes too, and I think it's a generational thing. Like I'm 38. Um, but people my age or my age bracket younger are totally in for helping dogs res dogs it's like the boomer generation they're kind of like they don't care or they just want someone else to do it or not saying that they don't love dogs but they're just like they don't have the the progressiveness of like that that we've grown up with or are learning at the same time so it's a generation Yeah. I think there's a, a generate. Yeah. yeah. I think there's definitely sometimes a generational divide in terms of how we view our relationships with our dogs. We see that a lot as well. Um, amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that meaningful information with our community. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to learn how we can support safe rest dogs. You've been listening to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justina McKenzie. Today, we have been chatting with Craig and Leah from Save Rest Dogs. So huge thank you to both of you for joining us today. We have one more question before we wrap up. So if our listeners would like to support your work, how can they do that? And lastly, where can they find you online? For sure. Well, uh, thank you, first of all, for having us. It's a pleasure. We love to talk about res dogs all day if we could. Uh, The best way people can support us is really um, purchasing merch because a lot of the proceeds go back out to uh, help res dogs across Canada. Um, 
oh, and the United States really, but uh, primarily in First Nations communities um, to help families or if like there's a stray dog. <laughs> um, my my heart and soul is for the stray unspayed females. Like the, they're the ones who I think are the most vulnerable in our communities. And so I just feel like I'm an auntie for them. Like I'm here to support them. So social media is like the biggest tool that we have into sharing all these like situations. So buying merch totally helps um, sharing our content, sharing our socials. Uh, We have funny memes or we have like some serious stuff sometimes, but we have this huge range Um, and just um, sharing our our resources as well that's available on our website which is at saveresdogs.com and our socials we're on every platform we're at save res dogs at save res dogs yeah just at save res dogs amazing and for our listeners that are local to kitchener waterloo we have been selling some of the save res dogs merch so keep an eye on that um, at future events we do have some left but it has been popular but I'm sure we'll get a restock at some point um so you can always find that at future events but again thank you so much Lee and Craig for joining me today it was lovely to have you both and thanks for tuning in today to the dog friendly KW podcast till next time